Hey everybody, you're tuning in to Salesforce Way Podcast, episode 4. I can't stress enough the importance of having the mentor for our professional career. But in reality, it's just difficult to get one. Like me, I never had one in my real life. Alternatively, I always turn to books and online courses to gain knowledge and wisdom from smart people all over the world. Dan Appleman, our guest today, is a Salesforce MVP, senior software developer, and public speaker. Advanced Apex programming book from him, which is linked in our show notes today, has introduced me the beauty of writing flexible and robust Apex code. He has also made many fantastic video courses in Pluralsight, so I'm so glad to have had this conversation with him, and hopefully his sharing today could help you in your Salesforce journey. Hello everybody, it's Shisha here from Salesforce Way Podcast. Today, I'm so happy to have another Salesforce expert with me today. Not only because he is like a Salesforce expert, but also, you know, he helped me so much since I joined Salesforce Journey for only two months. I have so much stuff to learn. And actually, I watched his video courses. I, I bought his book. And it's so much incredible, priceless information over there. So I, I decided to talk to him and have this discussion in, in this podcast session. And then let's see how much we can pick his wonderful brain here. His name's Dan Appleman. So Dan, could you introduce yourself? Oh gee, well I I I can't possibly match that introduction. I mean you're <laughs> way, way too kind, man. Uh thank you so much. Uh, it's great to be here with you. I understand Dan, you, you're wearing a lot of hats, right? You have multiple roles in your real life, in your professional I have a, journey. A, a huge hat collection, absolutely. Okay. I have Did a you... strange sense of humor too. <laughs> you know, you know, uh, a lot of uh, our our listeners, they are kind of picky. So they were wondering, who is this guy? Who is this Dan? So how do you convince them you are really Salesforce expert? I really want you to really say something about your titles. I... Uh, first of all, I, I don't try to convince anyone that I'm a Salesforce expert. Okay. Uh, the truth is that, for one thing, Salesforce as a platform has grown so huge mm -hmm. that nobody is a Salesforce expert anymore. Um, okay. I mean, if there are any true Salesforce experts, they're a lot smarter than I am. Um, you know, you can't, I, I think most people don't know everything on the platform now. Uh, can't know everything on the platform and can can't really keep up with all of the rapid changes. So the trick is, and you know, I'm very passionate about learning strategies, how one goes about learning and keeping up and so on. And the truth is that, you know, most people on Salesforce, I think, uh, have a a vague familiarity with most of the platform, mm -hmm. and there are areas of competence smaller areas of expertise and other areas where 
probably pay no attention at all. So, um, you okay. know, that's what a, a Salesforce expert is, I guess. Okay. That's the best you can hope for. Mm. I, I hope that doesn't sound depressing, but that's the reality of working on any technology platform these days. Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, before I joined Salesforce, I already understand Salesforce has a collection of like a clouds, CRM cloud, marketing cloud, IoT cloud. It it has grown rapidly to, you know, a large number, and nobody can really understand everything, right? I guess that's what you you your meaning. Well, the thing is, you know, there's been this evolution, and I I think people are are really sensing this, even if we don't necessarily speak about it. But there are technology stacks. Right. For example, before I was involved in Salesforce, I was on the Microsoft technology stack, which meant that you know I knew certain Microsoft languages, I knew certain Microsoft development tools, and I had expertise in some of those areas. I was familiar with a variety of other Microsoft technologies, but I didn't come close to knowing all of it because you couldn't know. You couldn't know all of the .NET framework. You couldn't know all of the applications, all of their APIs. You just couldn't, and this is true of any major technology stack. You know the same thing with the the Linux world, right? right. Uh, you don't know everything. Nobody knows everything. Nobody maintains high expertise in everything. Now, when I started with Salesforce, it was mostly CRM, mm -hmm. and you could be a Salesforce expert. I mean, you really could know maybe not everything, but close enough to be really comfortable and say, yeah. Salesforce expert, you know, I got all the certifications <laughs> and so on. Mm -hmm. But now that you have all of these different clouds and and it's broadened, Salesforce, the platform or the Lightning platform or whatever they're calling it these days, mm -hmm. is so vast that it has become a platform, an ecosystem, just like Microsoft, just like Linux, just like Apple, and so on. So we adapt to this idea that. Uh, it is too big to know everything. So now we actually have to pay a lot of attention to what do we choose to learn? Where do we choose to focus our attention? Mm, right. I, I guess that's also one of the reason you created so many Pluralsight video courses, right? Because I know you from actually one of your Pluralsight video courses. It's called um, um, Apex Development for .NET Developers. Mm-hmm, yeah. That's the first impression I got, and it gave me a really the right direction. I was kind of like assuming, okay, it's a similar language, it's similar to to Java and 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 uh, C sharp. I can easily pick it up. I don't have any problem. Maybe in two weeks, I, I'm ready to go. But then you gave me this kind of um, kind of insights that the governor limits. There are a lot of more different things in Salesforce platform you should pay attention to as a developer. Right. The, the nature of, of execution contexts and, and the way the language works there, it it's it's deceptive. Right? Mm -hmm. You you come to Salesforce from other languages from C sharp or Java and you say, Oh, I know how to do this. I know the language, the syntax is familiar, it's just like Java, it's just like C sharp. And then you build using you build software using the design patterns you're familiar with and you go down this road and you suddenly you realize oh my god it's i have created a disaster and 
and have built something that is incredibly wrong. It's not just, oh, I can refactor it and change it. It's more like the entire architecture is fundamentally flawed. Mm-hmm. And this is this is a path I went down. Uh, I guess we're now talking, uh, you know, six or seven years ago, where you mm-hmm. know, I had been writing some simple triggers, and you know, simple simple triggers back in the early days of Salesforce, when you had very very tight governor limits, you couldn't build a lot of code, you couldn't get into too much trouble because the the scope of what you could build was very limited. But as they increased that, uh, I was building software, and I realized that I was writing really bad software. And I realized that, you know, what were the design patterns? I mean, yeah, you had the simple example code in the la- in the language reference, but what? But now that Apex had become sophisticated enough, and the government governor limits relaxed enough, so you could build real software, how did you? How do you build real software on the platform? What are the correct and 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 stable and scalable design patterns for Apex. And when I I, uh, I joined the uh, Full Circle Insights team, I was one of the co-founders for, for Full Circle Insights, mm-hmm. and they had this vision, the marketers had this vision of building this really sophisticated application on the platform. And I said, I don't know how to build sophisticated applications on the platform. So I spent like six months literally thinking about it and prototyping and experimenting and trying different things and creating an architecture for our application that I thought made sense for Salesforce and and built it and it worked. In fact, our, our main product still uses that core architecture. It has a lot of new things and has grown from that initial vision, but it still uses that core architecture. And, and when I realized that I was onto something, uh, I wrote the book, uh, Advanced Apex Programming, pretty much is, here's what I've learned. Here's how I think you write real applications in Apex on this platform. And I guess a lot of people have agreed with me. Okay. So that's cool. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'm actually reading your, your Advanced Apex Programming book. One of the often asked questions for my colleagues or my friends is that why do you need a Apex book? There's so many free resources over over there in the internet. You can, you know, you you, you have the API documentation. You have tons of uh, documentation from Salesforce. So why do you need the Apex book? So now now you're getting into one of my absolute favorite topics, which okay. is how we learn, and. Uh, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm busy. I think most people are busy. We're, we have we want to learn a lot. We want to keep up as much as possible. So it's important to learn efficiently, mm-hmm. right? I mean, if you have a, if you have to learn something and you can learn it in one hour versus eight hours, it makes sense to learn it in one hour, right? Yeah, that yeah, would be definitely. your preference. So then the question is. How does one learn, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a number of components. Information is the easy part. Just getting information, it's easy. You, you go on Google, you go on searchtheforce.com, you just 
you're overwhelmed with information. Developer.force.com, it's easy to search for information. It's easy to find information. There's tons of information out there. So now you've got gigabytes and gigabytes of information. And tell me, well, what's the correct order to learn it? Which information is good? How does it tie together? What is the path? Right? What is what is the what what I call the curation, which is here's a logical order of learning things where each element builds on the next so that you can learn efficiently. So you're not wasting time looking at things you don't need to look at, so that you're not struggling too hard at each juncture because it's organized in such a way that you can learn step by step. Okay, so curation is critical. It's more important than information right now. Because information, as you say, is free and it's everywhere. So where do you get curation? Well, one place you get curation is Trailhead. Mm -hmm. right? Trailhead, it, I love Trailhead. I think it is, it is wonderful. It's a revolutionary learning system. The gamification is great and so on. But it is not in-depth teaching. No, right? not at all. It is, it is a, it is, and, and the reason it's called Trailhead, it's patterned after the national parks. It's after, patterned after the ideal. You're going to take a trail. So here's the guide. Here are the points of interest along the way. And we're going to sort of take you on this path. But that's only the starting point, right? You actually, if you really want to learn in depth, these are the things you're going to want to learn. You get a taste of it. So Trailhead is great, but it's not deep. On any particular given subject, it's not really, really deep. And to, and to have deep curation that's efficient, there's still nothing like a teacher, hmm. right? Someone to basically say, here, here, follow my train of thought, think about it this way, and if you follow this path, if you learn these things, then I will take you to a higher level of competence and I will do it very, very efficiently and quickly. I'm doing some of the heavy lifting of getting rid of the junk that you don't need to learn uh, or you don't need to learn now or that's too hard for you where you are right now. And I'm providing you that sort of clear path to deep learning. Mm -hmm. And that is a deep form of curation and that's where you need a teacher or a book. Uh, you can get that. Well, that's why people still take... Uh, the uh, Trailhead University, Salesforce University, I don't know what they're calling the, the in-person teaching nowadays, but whatever the marketing brand is for the in-person teaching now, people still sign up for those, right? Mm. It's why people do boot camps, right. right? Turns out that books provide a lot of that same deep curation a lot cheaper than a very expensive course. It's the same reason I do plural site courses. A plural site course is also a guided deep learning it takes you through this path right mm -hmm. um so that's the answer of why it's not enough to say all oh, there's all this free stuff online it's because there's all this free stuff online that um you want that guide that guidance and why it's worth paying a little bit for that guidance it, oh. because if you can go from 10 hours to learn something to one hour how much is your time worth that's that's a wonderful answer because it exactly matches how I'm learning here. So I want to pick up Salesforce technology fast enough. 
and、uh, I want to follow a book. Usually, I I'm also busy in my daily life. I, I listen to some audio book to learn knowledge outside of like IT. But、uh, for IT, you, you do need to read it on the paper or follow some video courses. Uh, and I tell you, I, I'm not making this stuff up because when I have to learn a new space, the very first thing I do is, I I first I check out if Pluralsight has courses on it. I take the key courses on it on the path that makes sense, and I will go out and just buy the highest rated books on Amazon. I'll just you know, because even if I spend a hundred dollars on books, if I can save a couple of hours, it is so worth it. Um. Yeah. Let's then. Talk a little bit about your Pluralsight courses. I guess some of our listeners don't really know what Pluralsight is. Maybe you can give a little bit introduction. What Pluralsight really is? Sure. So Pluralsight is online training. It's basically、um, screencasts where you know an author creates a course, and it's sort of like a book except that you have that visual、mm. going on. It then they don't do a lot of the live action stuff. It's more like You know, showing you demos, so you're actually looking at the code, or you're looking at at screens that highlight the information, or block diagrams, or whatever、uh, helps. So you're combining both the the high quality audio and the visual.、Mm. Uh, I I teach there because it I love writing and I love teaching,、mm -hmm. and books are harder. And to be perfectly blunt,、uh, Pluralsight pays better. Okay. Right. You know, you don't get rich at either one,、mm -hmm. but Or a certain amount of time invested in a book versus investing in a course in Pluralsight, it, it actually makes more sense for me to do a course,、mm -hmm. uh, and in many ways, it's a really good deal for users as well because they sign up there. It's a subscription service, and they have access to my courses, and they have access to many, many other courses.、Uh, so, for example, in Salesforce now, there's a series of amazing play-by-plays that、uh, Don Robbins and, and a whole bunch of other MVPs and technical architects and others have put together、uh, that I've been watching because、uh -huh. okay. you, know, you get to sit there and, and watch some really really smart people solving real world problems、mm. and sort of looking over their shoulder and、uh, it's a really cool experience to do that、mm. and、uh, and for beginners you know you have、uh, David Liu's Apex Academy so for somebody who's an admin who wants to get started in Apex he's this you know. David Liu is the the、uh, webmaster of SFDC99.com.、Uh, mm -hmm. uh, he's a great teacher, and I mean, he's just these very welcoming, friendly,、uh, accessible courses.、Mm. Uh, so, you know, I I I love doing I love doing the Pluralsight courses, and so I do Salesforce courses, but I also do courses on、uh, professional development.、Mm. So I have courses on. On careers, I even have a course on Salesforce careers. So somebody asked me, "Well, should I get into Salesforce? How do I get into Salesforce?" And so on. I say, "Yes, get a free trial on Pluralsight and watch my course on <laughs> Salesforce careers." And and I talk about the different paths and I talk about, you know, things like you know, should you get certified? And I I think I I think Trailhead was already there.、Uh, I'm not sure. I talk about developer.force.com. I talk about Uh, the Ohana, the Salesforce values. One of the things that、mm -hmm. uh, I think all of us really appreciate about being part of the Salesforce ecosystem as well. So,、um, you know, I've got a couple of courses on learning technology、right. and the challenges and how to go about learning new technologies in general.、Mm -hmm. uh, 
courses on managing teams, leadership management, things like that. Um, you know, very excited about those as well. So, and they are universal. They're they're great for Salesforce people. They're great for for anybody, any developer, any IT person. Right. I'm opening your uh, pro site a profile page here in my browser. I can see that you already have 18 courses there, right? Yeah. So back. Yeah. The first course was back in 2013. So you have done the courses for over five years almost, right? Yeah, amazing. Like three to four courses each year at at such a pace. Yeah. So what what's your what's your experience by by making videos? It's I guess it's totally different from like writing a book, right? Have you learned something over there? What makes you, you know, so motivated to do the courses? So here's the funny thing. Different authors use different systems. And, you know, there's there's some authors who do it just like they would do a, a presentation. They, they uh, at a conference, they, you know, do everything live and speak and then edit it together. I figured out after my first one that I am at heart a writer. So I actually... Even though I hope it doesn't sound like it, I actually script my courses. I figure out exactly what I'm going to say, uh, and I write it down exactly as if I was going to, as, as if I'm speaking it, and then I present it uh, like that. And I find that that's uh, efficient and gives me the the effect. And most important, it it makes sure that I say exactly what I want to say, right. and uh, in, in the order I want to say it, and uh, and that works out really well. Most of the courses are uh, you're looking at code or you're looking at diagrams. Uh, some of the newest one, newer ones, like Keeping Up with Technology and my most recent one, uh, Building Trust and Commitment on Teams, mm-hmm. uh, are for the professional development courses. They're shifting to sort of a higher standard of production. So that one you'll see live video, you'll see some animation. I had a huge amount of fun. Uh, I learned uh, some Adobe After Effects in order to do some animation. I see that. Uh, yeah, I see, I see your message. And, you left it. Yeah, and I'd always dreamt. I, 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 I I've always been a, felt a little bit like a frustrated artist because I've always wanted. I've always loved animation and wanted to do uh, uh, great creative stuff like that, and um, uh, always dreamed of learning Adobe After Effects. So this mm-hmm. was my excuse to do it. And in fact, the way I learned Adobe After Effects was by watching a few Pluralsight courses on the subject. So, mm, you know, sort of like eat eat your own dog food or eat the other offers dog yeah. food is, is the cliche, right? Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I'm, I'm just going through your, your course list here. There There is one course, it's really interesting to me. It's called uh, Building the Enterprise Private Blockchain on Salesforce. Uh, what yeah. what is that? I ha- I, frankly speaking, I haven't watched it, but I know what is blockchain, what it's Salesforce, but they are totally different topic, right? What what are you doing there on the course? Okay, so right now, of course, the world at the moment has gone a little bit crazy about blockchain and cryptocurrency, and and you know, it's like Bitcoin, and you know, there's some people who's like, oh yeah, you know. You have to invest in cryptocurrency. Invest your life savings. It's going to change the world five years from now. Nobody's going to use real money. And then you have other people who say it's all a giant scam and it's a Ponzi scheme and it's a complete waste of time. And and you know anybody you know there's stories of companies that add blockchain to their name and their value immediately triples. And it's it's ridiculous. Like the wild west insanity of of blockchain. And uh, I got to wondering. 
you know, what is this thing? I, I missed out on Bitcoin. I I thought four years ago that it was a Ponzi scheme, and mm-hmm. and I forgot that people who get in early on a Ponzi scheme can make lots of money. <laughs> uh, so so I screwed up there. Uh, but uh, and I'm certainly not going to do it now because I'm still very very skeptical. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, you know, I'm a technologist, and I sort of got curious about let's learn a little bit about the technology and sort of asked, well, okay, you know, blockchain, I'm into Salesforce. Is there any connection? Is there actually any relevance? Does it make sense? Not just as a, a you know, marketing vision. Yeah, someday we'll all share information and do something. But is there a real get your hands dirty, do something useful with blockchain on Salesforce mm-hmm. today? Is Does that make sense? And rather to my surprise, it turned out that, yeah, I actually could find uh, some interesting scenarios that make sense to use blockchain on Salesforce, Mm -hmm. and you can actually build one in Apex. So I did, and uh, I had a real kick. I was at the Trailhead DX conference, and at uh, one of the keynotes, uh, it wasn't a keynote, it was a, a, um, the uh, Parker and and Mark were having their... um, Sort of fireside chat, mm-hmm. and uh, and Mark Benioff talked about how he uh, um, uh, had held a meeting at one of his conferences, and someone told him about blockchain. And Mark said, "And I'm very excited about this, and I promise by Dreamforce there's going to be a blockchain something on Salesforce." And I, I sort of <laughs> tweeted, "Like, hey, Mark, you're too late. There already is a blockchain <laughs> on Salesforce." He never, he never responded to my tweet, but but there is a blockchain on Salesforce, and uh, it's. Uh, I'm very excited about this course because for those of you who know nothing about blockchain, uh, it's a good primer. It's, a, it's you know, here's what's going on. Here's why it is. And you don't have to be a developer for the first couple of modules of this course, the first half of it or so. Mm-hmm. You don't have to know any development. It's all, even if you're purely an admin or just a, a curious person or executive, you can follow that part, that logic that says, here's what a blockchain is, and here's a scenario that makes sense on Salesforce. And only in the third module do I say, okay, now, admins, you can stick around because you will be able to follow most of this. And then, you know, all the part where the declarative and I set up the fields and objects and explain them. And then, of course, for the Apex developers, it's like, you know, let's let's go hardcore here. Mm-hmm. You know, here's the code. You know, you can try it out, use it, uh, and so on. And then back in the fourth module, I sort of conclude and bring things together. So even for non-developers can enjoy the end of, ending of the course as well. Oh, sounds like a really interesting course. I, I definitely wanted to take a look. I had a lot of fun with it. And, and mm. uh, I'm just, uh, you know, it's, it, it is the fastest course I ever built. Okay. Because, you know, literally I from from proposal to getting it out was probably under two months, uh, mostly because I was, it all started with me asking this question and doing this uh, experimentation on my own say, why would I do this? Can I do this? And talking to my friends who actually are into Salesforce and mm-hmm. convincing him that, you know, one of my friends who said, okay, well, I, I guess that scenario makes sense. I've never heard of anyone doing that before, but yeah, sure. And, and he went on to say, so, and you know, blockchain, it's like, there's, Nobody knows what it is anyway, so whatever you say is good. Uh, and uh, uh, so I, I got his his seal of approval that what I did was not stupid. And uh, that he's a very he's a very he's very serious in the blockchain world. So uh, so I felt I felt that was validation. 
but then after having built this, I said, this is just too cool. I want to share it, but it's way too much for a blog post, mm. right? right. It, you know, a blog post is, you know, 500 words maybe, right. you know, and this was a, I had a lot to say, and a lot to teach. Again, <laughs> there's a story, there's a curation there. And, you know, you were, you were talking earlier about, you know, the, the things like books and courses. The challenge with all the free stuff is the free stuff tends to be short, mm. right? Because who can justify spending months of work to produce something to give away for free? I mean, some people do, I suppose, but uh, most of the stuff you find free online is short. You know, it's like here, I, I did something, here's a blog post. Mm. But to turn to create something that's real, has some instructional design and so on, it takes time and effort and you know, mm. I can't do that for free. I can't afford to. Totally understandable. And 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 then I remember you mentioned once in in another po podcast. It's called uh, Code Coverage. You you said um, Salesforce platform is so amazing that we should use it to teach some other technology, like the, the blockchain. I think you are doing exactly the same thing. That's what you were saying, right? We can use Salesforce platform, use the coding skills or declarative a way to, to, to really teach people some other technology. So I have one course on Pluralsight that was the sneakiest Salesforce course ever. Mm -hmm. uh, it's one, it's Introduction to Data Visualization for Developers, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, data visualization is a fascinating topic and it's one that is poorly taught and poorly executed and I know this because most graphs and charts that you see people create are absolutely terrible and uh, and a lot of people don't even realize that they're terrible which is shows how how bad things are so so uh, in this course I, I I did I talked about data visualization and I taught it and I showed how to create graphs that actually communicate what to look for in in a, in a graph you know how to pick the data very very introductory course on data visualization mm -hmm. and then the last section i wanted to do data visualization architecture and that's a huge subject where you know when you look at a a graph where does it come from is it rendered on the client is it rendered on the server mm -hmm. does the server pre-process the data and send it to the client for processing? Do you, does the server send all the data to the client and then the client processes the data and does the visualization? Um, does the server render um, you know, in, in, uh, vector graphics? Does it render bitmap graphics? Does it just render a bitmap and do all the rendering on the server, right? There are lots of different architectures and each one has different trade-offs in terms of bandwidth and CPU power and so on. Mm -hmm. And how would you actually demonstrate that? Uh, in a course, right? Because the technology stack that it takes to demonstrate all of those different architectures, uh, you'd spend hours just setting up the technology stack, right? So I cheated. I said, hey, I can actually demonstrate all of these architectures on Salesforce. So I have, uh, I could show the pure server solution using Salesforce charts, mm -hmm. right? I could use a pure client solution using the API to pull in the data and then process it entirely on the client. I could use a sort of hybrid approach where I use the analytics API to 
pull data from a Salesforce report mm -hmm. and render it on the client. So I could actually demonstrate all of the different uh, visualization architectures on one platform. It was really cool. So it's not a Salesforce course, mm -hmm. but you are using I'm using Salesforce mm -hmm. to teach this concept. And that was a very, very fun thing to do. Okay. I really recommend everybody who are listening to this podcast really to to subscribe to Pluralsight. How much does it cost nowadays? Three hundred bucks a year? Uh, yeah, I think it's three hundred a year mm. or twenty nine ninety nine a month or something like that. Okay. Um, you know, most developers not only can afford it, but you know mm. can probably write it off on their taxes. I mean. Uh, and you have like 6,000 courses there. So right. especially if you're in Salesforce, it's not just the Salesforce courses, it's the JavaScript courses and the architecture courses and the professional development courses. And, you know, hmm. there's a lot there. You know, a, a lot of companies have Pluralsight subscriptions. Exactly. So they just have to, they just have to ask, it's like, hey, you know, does our company already have this? And if so, just, you know, get yourself access to it. Hmm. So cool. Um, I, I want to change our topic a bit because it's a really interesting topic to me. It's the lightning component. Um, mm. <laughs> it's been, I know it, it has been announced a couple of years ago. Was it back in 2014 when the lightning component was the first time really launched? Yep. So it's been four years, but still each time when I talk with uh, my colleagues or other developers about the experience of Lightning Components, they are not that positive. Uh, either because there are too much stuff to learn or because it's too bad. From an Apex uh, developer point of view, it's too much to learn. And from front-end developer point of view, they're too like, like restricted. The, the latest uh, JavaScript feature are not there. It's not modulized. It's kind of a funny way to write your JavaScript code. So, so these things are still existing. What is your opinion? Well, so first of all, let's focus just on on Lightning experience and Lightning component because, you know, Salesforce throws the term Lightning on a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. Like now, it's the Lightning platform. You know, like most tech companies, this is not just Salesforce, but like most tech companies, when they get a a brand, a name that they think is cool, they throw it on everything. Microsoft did that with ActiveX, <laughs> and uh, you know, and uh, and now Salesforce is doing that with Lightning and, and Trailhead. It's everywhere, and it's just the marketers confusing us. Mm -hmm. So it's we have to be careful. So I'm going to talk about Lightning experience and Lightning components, okay. and ignore all the other Lightning-ish things that are that exist. Mm -hmm. Um, there is no doubt that Lightning experience is, is the future, right? Um, you know, companies are, we're beginning to see a tip. We're, we're certainly new company, new customers are, are using Lightning. We're beginning to see companies migrate. Uh, the time it is taking is perfectly normal for any enterprise software. I mean, Salesforce is in the enterprises. Enterprises do not move quickly, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and especially when you're asking them to switch to a UI initially with no clear benefit because uh, initially Lightning did not do as much as Classic did and it did it more slowly. It just looked better. Mm. Um, now there are more and more features that are only available on Lightning uh, and 
uh, it's getting faster. It still has a way to go. They're working on it, I'm sure. But uh, that's the direction. So, so it's going to be there. Now, that brings us to people using the Lightning experience and using Lightning components. Mm-hmm. Then the question is, what about creating Lightning components? And here the challenge is that the learning curve is the learning surface is big mm-hmm. right um, where before to do visual force you know you have to know apex you have to know some basic markup and the absolute minimal amount of html right, right? and that was it and you could do visual force you didn't have to know any javascript really or, or the or maybe trivial javascript for anything fancy mm-hmm. uh, and you could build UIs that, that looked and worked great. Uh, Lightning, you now have more HTML, you've got potentially CSS, and of course you have JavaScript. And even though they are doing things to make that, um, uh, to simplify it, things like the Lightning Data Service, mm. the learning curve is there. Yeah. And you know what that means is, you know, higher obstacle means you're going to have fewer people doing it. Hmm. Right, hmm. always true. So then the question is, um, what is going to happen? Are you going to see uh, Lightning components have, you know, more limited adoption? It's going to be a more advanced thing. Only the more advanced developers will build them, or will you actually see more and more of these available Lightning components so that people will be able to assemble solutions out of off-the-shelf components? Now, I don't know the answer to that. I, I was deeply involved way back in the Visual Basic world. Mm-hmm. Uh, Visual Basic, uh, now of course it's sort of like nobody, the, the younger developers don't even know about it and it's ancient history. But people forget how revolutionary it was at the time because Windows programming was insanely hard and Visual Basic would allow citizen programmers, remember that term? Right? We use it now. Mm-hmm. Citizen programmers could write applications easily, just using drag and drop and configuring components and a little bit of code. That was revolutionary at the time. And to empower them, there came to exist this fairly substantial market of components. And my company was, in fact, a component developer. That's how I started my career. I shipped components that were used by thousands or tens of, of thousands of Visual Basic developers. Mm-hmm. And could the same thing happen with Lightning components on the Salesforce platform? And I know there are people at, at Salesforce for whom that is the vision, a Lightning component mm-hmm. marketplace right. and, and this big ecosystem of, you know, if you want to build something on the platform, you don't hire a developer to build a Lightning component, you buy a Lightning component. Mm-hmm. Um, will that happen? I don't know. Uh, it might. I, I think it's just too soon to say. Hmm. It can happen. It there, it is a possibility that that will happen. Okay. To, uh, It'll be interesting to see. Hmm. So the the app exchange is a different story here, right? It's not the we cannot use app exchange to to you know to sell to buy the lightning component. You can't. I thought you I thought you could. Don't they have a lightning component market? I don't. I haven't looked recently. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just two months in uh, Salesforce. <laughs> a lot of okay. stuff. I I, 
I believe that that if it's not there, I I, I'm, I apologize that I something I should know, but I just haven't looked at it. But mm. my understanding was that uh, you can buy Lightning components on the App Exchange. That there is a Lightning component marketplace for it, and mm. and that they are um, very uh, interested in having people create Lightning components that would sell on the marketplace. But I cannot speak right now in terms of how easy it is mm. uh, to do that. Or whether such whether there actually is a market, whether people are actually buying these components or not, mm. um, you know, I just don't know. I got it. Cool. Um, so y y your company is doing the so-called the managed package, right? Yes. Yes. So, so do you have some insights about creating managed package? Is that a a good experience in terms of uh, development and shipping it out? Uh, well, I'm not going to answer in terms of being a good experience because that's sort of vague. What I will say, and this is the most important thing to be aware of, mm -hmm. and, and I actually talk about this in my book, is that just as the design patterns you use in Apex are different from the ones that you use uh, in other languages like Java, the design patterns you use for managed packages are very different from the design patterns you use for code that you're building in an org. And that, so so in a way, it's it's sort of the, the little secret of Salesforce is that there are actually two distinct sets of design patterns for software developers on the platform. There is the regular, what you do as a consultant, you know, you build on a sandbox or developer orgs and then transfer it to production, mm -hmm. and the managed package uh, design patterns, which in many cases are very, very, very different. Okay, so it's a totally different skill set for developers. Uh, you know, it, it is it is a similar skill set in the sense that it's the same language, same governor limits, and so on, but definitely different design patterns. Okay. Uh, and and this is de this is something that I do discuss uh, in the Advanced Apex book a fair amount because I came from a place of of uh, building managed packages, so I tend to you know address where there are differences and and. The reasons for them, and oh. you know what approaches you would take in each one. Oh, that's that's glad to hear because I, I do want to learn a bit about how to create the manager package. So so yeah, I, I just follow along your book, the Advanced Apex Programming. I, I can't. Right. You should also you should also check out Andrew Fawcett's uh, uh, book. I can't remember the title offhand, but okay. uh, outstanding, outstanding book and. You know now, of course, he's VP of Platforms, so right. um, obviously Salesforce is very impressed with him as well. Okay, I, I'll maybe also put that book in my show notes once I Google it out. What's the name? What's what's the book? I definitely want to buy yeah. that book. Yeah, like well. I think it's like Force.com Enterprise Patterns or oh, Enterprise right, Development right. or something like that. Yeah, really, really, really excellent book. Um, okay, I definitely want to get it. Uh, one last thing, um, it's like my kind of uh, my own interesting topic here it's quick and short should be so w what's your experience of uh, getting a salesforce mvp title what does it does it change i mean how how did you get it do you like heavily involved into the community and then get nominated is there something like this so you know i don't know what the conceptions are for uh, out there about salesforce mvps but basically to become a Salesforce MVP, they're looking for people who are contributing to the community. Okay. And 
that's very broad. There are some MVPs who answer lots and lots of questions on forums. Mm -hmm. There are other MVPs who uh, create um, you know, exceptional blogs. Like, you know, I'm sure, for example, David Liu, mm -hmm. they looked at sfdc99.com and said, here's somebody who's just making this huge contribution to the community. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I don't answer many questions online, but I create content. Right, I figure out solutions, uh, and 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 uh, you know through my book and through speaking at Dreamforce. So, for example, you know, when, last time I spoke at Dreamforce, I missed this year, but the year before that, uh, I did a session a along with uh, 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 a coworker named Robert Watson, where we talked about how do you benchmark uh, not just Apex, but uh, processes and workflows. Right? Everybody knows that process and workflows contribute to CPU time, right. but how long do they actually take? Exactly. And, <laughs> and, and we did, we did, you know, I think, I mean, I, honestly, I think we did innovative work in the subject. I think we were presenting stuff that nobody else had thought of or measured or seen before. Mm -hmm. And so that's sort of what I tend to bring to the table is sort of, you know, here's, here's something new. I'm the guy who does Apex blockchain right <laughs> uh, you know uh, so I think that that's why they picked me is, is that they're looking you know hmm. as compared to somebody so it's different ways of contributing hmm. and the biggest thing you get out of being a Salesforce MVP or are more opportunities to contribute hmm. right you get to make a difference you get to help more people so you know for example you know appearing on this podcast is something I do because it's fun and I, I like to share stuff mm -hmm. and it's a kind of an MVP-ish thing to do because that's what we do is we want to share knowledge, we want to provide guidance and so on. So, um, And it's not just to customers and so on, but part of our role and I think one of the important parts of our role is to, is to provide feedback back to Salesforce, right? Mm -hmm. Because we talk to people and I know Salesforce, they talk to people too, but, you know, we, we listen, we, we hear what people's concerns are, so on, and so on, and we provide feedback to Salesforce mm -hmm. and say, hey, you know, this is something you're doing well, this is something that needs improvement, and so on. And they tend to, to use us as a resource mm -hmm. uh, to help them sort of understand what's going on in the world as well. So, you know, it's not, you're not getting a bunch of free stuff, we don't get paid, it's just sort of... Uh, part of being in the Ohana, so to speak. Okay. I think it's like a universal rule that everybody needs feedback. So when you're create, yeah. creating videos, you want to hear the audience, how, how they think, right? Is it a good video course? Is there something I can improve? And after that, you get this feedback loop, then you improve yourself. I think one thing that all the MVPs have in common is that we really are passionate about the community mm. uh, and the technology, but especially especially the community. And I think, you know, when when I was in the uh, uh, the VB6 world, the Visual Basic world, when it first started out, it was sort of like the ugly little kid of Microsoft software. Mm. And there quickly formed this community of avid believers and developers who were innovating and building on the platform and it was a really fun community to be a part of and as it 
grew and they they sort of got rid of the original Visual Basic. They went to .NET. They sort of lost that sense of community. It just became a business. And when I got back into Salesforce, it was like, holy smoke, all these people who are learning stuff and they're excited about learning stuff and they're having great careers and great opportunities and, and you have the inclusiveness and the values and and there is this sense of community that is very, very real. And uh, I, I don't know when they started calling it Ohana, but Ohana describes it really well. Mm. And I think that that is something that the MVPs all share is, is uh, a real, um, you know, not a blind cultish, you know, Salesforce is God, but more like, yeah, we got something good here. This is good stuff. This is exciting. Let's share it. Let's, let's you know, all grow this ecosystem together, share the, share the love, share the joy, and uh, have a lot of fun. Really nice to hear you. You share your story here. Yeah, I've been around a while. I have stories. <laughs> all right, Dan, thank you so much to join us here. Thank you for inviting me. This has been a lot of fun. Talk a little, Dan.